On today's Daily Charge Supercharged Edition, is Netflix in trouble? Why is Congress grilling YouTube? And 90s gadget toy nostalgia extravaganza. First and foremost, though, did anyone here play Neopets? Well, clearly Dar has. <laughs> I barely even know what Neopets are, so thank you for that description. Because it, it's like a more advanced version of those Tomagotchi pets. Yeah, which, I had exposure to Tamagotchi. Me. I remember yeah. being on a school bus. That's, other kids had Tamagotchi. That's our age range. Yeah. Like, that, was, that was square in our childhood. But uh, This is kind of the world of Tamagotchi on like steroids, right. if you think. Right. Yeah, there's a million different possibilities you can do on the site, and there's no end goal or victory. Yeah. Well, you, and you can battle each other. That's interesting. You can also battle each other. Yeah, so and the like battle dome. Pokemon-esque uh, yeah. aspect to it. Yeah, so, if you're yeah. feeling competitive, if you're feeling just chill. You, know, you just play you. your own games. You play your own games. Don't bother anyone. You didn't yeah. come across anybody that like met their husband or wife through Neopets, did you? Um, there have been past stories on it, but I did hear about someone, um, Melissa Forbes, the founder of Neopets Nation. She yeah. gets invited to weddings from the friendships she's formed. Oh, yeah. That's and nice. And she says some of her best friends are people she met on Neopets. Mm. So, Aww. yeah. Okay, BBG, yeah. what do our lovely audience members want to ask about today? All right, taking a look at the chat. Uh, so, what's the difference between a Neopet or a Tamagotchi or a Gigapet? Oh, good questions. So, with a Tamagotchi, so you you guys can probably attest to this because I didn't really play Tamagotchi that much. But do you have to feed your Neopets and everything? I mean, do uh, you have Tam- to feed yes. your Tamagotchi? Yeah, they do. You do. But I don't think they were connected to anything. Like, no, I they think they were just, just like little dongles. On yeah. Them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Neopets was much more of a virtual world to say. Right. So imagine there was like its own planet, Neopia. So you can travel different lands. You can do a lot more as being a user on mm-hmm. Neopets. Um, like whether it's setting up a shop, being competitive on games, again, battling the battle dome, right. or doing a quest to find these rare items scattered on the site. There's a million different routes a user can, you know. And what, what, are the, what are the items? Are they just sort of like decorations on the Neopet or like what, what, so what do they do? Back in the day, um, back, like mid-2000s. Um, the old uh, days. <laughs> the old days. <Yes. laughs> hey. So um, they didn't have wearables. Now you can dress your Neopets. Back then there were like random items, anything from like a pile of dung, believe it or not. Oh, uh, yeah, of to, course. <laughs> To even a T-shirt, to even omelets, and if you're in, if you were ever involved in Neopets, you know you have to get your daily freebies, and ah. these are like free food items and whatever. So they really like yeah. championed the whole freemium movement before it became mainstream on mobile games. Yeah, you're looking at three for better point, or worse. Yeah, you're <laughs> looking at over three million users in a day. Right. Well. Yeah, and now it's a hundred thousand, but quality over quantity. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, uh, is this kind of like Sims? How is this even, we're just going down this like a 90s rabbit hole <laughs> of like kind of like classic high school time killer games. So we've covered Tamagotchi and Gigapets and all that, but what about The Sims? Is this somehow like on board with The Sims? Well, so with Sims, from what I remember is like, hey, you do have your own home, mm-hmm. right? Mistake or not? So in Neopets, you also have your home. Neo home, you can decorate it for your pet. The richer sure. you are in Neo points, the better your home's gonna look. Okay. So. And can you buy things to decorate your home? Yeah, or? you okay. can. Of course, of course you can. But it kind of gives way to this hierarchy that's not really spoken about because <laughs> richer Neo um, pet users wanna form alliances with, with other, other richer. Yeah. 
and so you like let a one percenters of ne Neopet oh, world. Oh man! Wow. Yeah. Even in the Neopet world, this idealistic you know universe. Not egalitarian at all. Yeah, they're still uh, the still rich keep fast. getting richer. I know. <laughs> Where's the Bernie Sanders of Neopets? That's what we need. <laughs> um, what are the questions we got, Brian? Uh, what would you call the equivalent of today's tech toys? What is a Neopets equivalent today? Ooh, good I question. Heard, I mean, I've seen my little cousins play around with webkins. Yeah. I believe it. Believe it or not. I've seen a Neopet yeah. idea in VR once. Oh. It was very limited. Um, I don't know if it ever actually came to market. It was like a preview thing that I saw, saw at South by two years ago. But like it was this idea that you had like this little pet and you would feed it, you would throw it food and it would gobble it up. And when it had to poop, you would put it in a little machine and the poop would come out. And then the machine would change the poop into more food. Oh my God, <laughs> that's really graphic. It uh, wasn't though, it was adorable. Oh, okay. I mean, it's all like glittery, yeah, rainbow colored yeah, yeah. poop and food. So it didn't actually, and it didn't smell like it. Was it the idea that though, like if you didn't feed it, it would like starve or like you had to keep I mean, this is virtual reality. So the experiences last like, Four minutes. Right. I just imagine like if this was an actual practical thing, like every day, like at three o'clock, I'd have to like strap on my VR headset to feed my virtual pet. Yeah, I don't know. If that ever came to market, so I don't yeah, know if it ever. That was seems like it'd be kind of a hassle. At least know. with um, Neopets, your pets are probably in perpetual dying mode. They'll never actually. They don't actually die. They don't actually die, but they're like yours is in perpetual dying. Yeah, mode. mine's yeah. Yeah, perpetual. Yeah. When was oh, the last time you actually like looked at your Neopet? Uh, the pet itself, a while. It's been a while. Like I years? would say ten. 10 years. Oh, a, a whole More decade. Than, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. You didn't check Poor it girl. out. You didn't check in on it while you're writing the story? So I went on the website. I didn't really focus on my pets. Yeah. Well, but yeah. Yeah. Went on the website to explore the world and okay. yeah. nostalgia. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. I'm fixing things back here. Uh, I had a virtual pet. Uh, is that what they were called? Uh, the the other ones that were kind of like Tamagotchis, but uh, mine were like Star Wars. I had like a Rancor or something like that. It was another keychain dongle thing. Anybody oh, yeah. remember those? I think that uh, probably is the same company, but they just got the license for Star Wars and yeah, like it probably works the same way, right? Like, but it was it was called Virtua Pet, right, or something like that. I honestly don't remember what they were called. I don't. That doesn't quite ring a bell for me. I... Okay. Sorry. Uh, my, my... I wasn't big on any of these things, anyways. Like I knew about the fad, but I never. Took part in it. My my nostalgia powers are failing me today. Uh, really, they're so strong. So what what is the next uh, trendy thing that we're going to discover has like an underground following still here in uh, 2019? Pogs. Yeah, yeah, let's go with pogs. I mean, we could just say that it's Fortnite already. Ugh. I mean, like, not, it's not underground though. That it's is, not underground, but like, far above ground. Neopets wasn't underground when it was right. in its heyday. Right. So I don't know. But as if you're looking for the next trend for kids. I don't know. My kid's too young for this stuff, so yeah. And I'm just terminally unhip, so that doesn't help either. Okay, moving on. Uh, Yan is asking uh, if we could clarify what is the link between YouTube's actions and the congressional hearing in regards to the piracy story. Right. So um, YouTube started blocking, started increasing its blocking of these stream roughing sites about a week ago, and when that started happening. That's when Gerald Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, um, reached out to Google and said, what are you doing? This was about, this was a few days before he was going to bring Google along with other, um, other big tech companies, Amazon, Apple, and Amazon, bring them all in front of the committee for a hearing. So he was reaching out to them 
asking them asking them questions about what they were doing because he's a long standing he has a, a long standing track record of trying to figure out how to deal with internet privacy issues. Mm. So one of the problems about stream ripping sites is that it's really difficult to mitigate stream ripping piracy in the courts if record if recording companies or other music companies try to take these these streaming streaming sites to court it's really hard to get jurisdiction because they're out in like ethiopia or like bolivia or wherever they're somewhere it's hard to get jurisdiction for a u.s company to get them into a court to shut them down in a court system it's also hard legislatively to write legislation do it a because it's just hard to write legislation and get it passed but b it's such a slippery weaselly sort of piracy that's the nature of piracy it's hard to write legislation for it so really the best first line of defense would be youtube taking a more proactive stance against stream ripping sites that's what it appears like they're finally doing a little bit more of so from my perspective as a producer here at cnet that uses youtube a lot and oftentimes uh, repurposes content today. In fact, we, we borrowed some from a YouTuber that we credited in the video, uh, but a lot of people don't do that. But is there going to be any algorithmic backlash? Are they going to like crank up that whatever auto-reading software they do that kind of pings content or flags yeah. content like that? Yeah, this doesn't have anything to do with the recommendation algorithm. It also doesn't have anything to do with fair use. Like you were, That's a fair use example when you, uh, for a news story or for some other creative endeavor, use somebody else's um, copyrighted product for your own means. This is totally different than fair use. This is where you plug in a music video that you really like and the stream ripping site goes like basically hacks through YouTube's backdoor, gets around its encryption, swipes the song, converts it to an MP3 and lets you download it so you can put it on your phone or burn it onto a CD or kind of take it illegally wherever you want. Some people don't realize that stream ripping is illegal, but it is and the reason is because all that listening that you do, none of the listening gives any royalties to the recording companies or the artists that created the artists that created that song. So that's why the recording industry wants to try to stamp it out. But yeah, this won't affect the recommendation engine. It's really about IP address blocking and it's unclear whether YouTube's doing any additional encryption to try to stop basically shut down the back door before the before stream ripping sites can hack into it. It's unclear if they're even going that far yet, but they are increasing what appears to be IP blocking of these stream ripping sites. I'm just curious though why like I kinda understand why they'd be doing it now, but like why if it was such a problem, why didn't they act earlier? So YouTube wouldn't say. Um, I asked them if they could comment about why now, and they wouldn't give me any information. Mm -hmm. But um, there's speculation that the reason is because there's such antitrust scrutiny right now. Okay. Um, they're, you know, Google and YouTube is the biggest business in Google outside its search right. uh, business, and there's a lot of scrutiny on Google and others. And so there is some speculation in the industry that maybe what Google's trying to do is look out at the landscape of where it's potentially going to be fighting some antitrust battles and trying to plug up holes that it can that mm. are just easy fixes. This is an example where it's an easy, IP blocking is a pretty simple and cheap thing to do. Yeah. They just haven't put it at the forefront of what they wanted to fix. I mean, YouTube has, a, has had a lot of more scandalous problems yeah, than yeah, stream sure. ripping over yeah. the past couple of years. So I, the speculation is that the reason they're doing it now is because they know they're going to be facing some bigger battles. They mm. want to make sure they don't have little battles they also have to deal with at the right. same time. Got it.
Switching gears over to Netflix, uh, Commander Trium says Netflix isn't failing, or have I not seen that mentioned anywhere? What sources am I missing? Joan, go ahead and clarify. We're not saying that Netflix is doomed or anything no. like that. We're just saying no. that we, we saw a slump. It's just business reporting. Yeah, Netflix is going to be fine. <laughs> Netflix is going to be yeah. totally fine. They just surpassed 150 million global subscribers, which is more than any subscription service on the planet. So, uh, well, there might be something in China that's bigger, but... Wait, subscription of anything or subscription for video? Or for video, for sure. Okay. And in music, too. Uh, Spotify is the biggest subscription music service, and it doesn't have that many. Um, yeah. Netflix is going to be fine. But the point is, what they are seeing is, for example, this is the first time in eight years that Netflix lost subscribers in the United States, which is its mm. biggest single market and still the market where it makes the most money per subscriber than pretty much any other market right now. It might have some other places where, you know, in Europe where it also makes a lot of money. Most of its growth is coming from these places where there are really... There are lower priced, like for example, in India, they're launching a tier, a mobile only tier that's like less than $5 a month, which I'm sure a lot of people would love to have here. Yeah. It's not coming here, <laughs> but it will be happening in India because they're hoping to expand in these countries where they don't have the same amount of subscription breadth as they do in a place like the US. But at the same time, their biggest market is slowing down. At least that's how it seems now. My suspicion is that next quarter, it's gonna be gangbusters because of Stranger Things and a bunch right. of other big shows and movies that are coming out. Martin Scorsese, his first movie mm. for Netflix is going to be coming out next quarter. The last season of Orange is the, New, is the New Black, which has faded in popularity, but still really big for them. Right. It's going to be coming out next quarter instead of last quarter. So I think I think next next quarter we're going to be talking a totally different narrative. So to counteract that, uh, Ryan says with Disney Plus starting soon, I feel like Netflix may be in trouble. Uh, do most people who subscribe to Netflix love their original content enough to stick with them? For me, the price of admission is worth Stranger Things. <laughs> Yeah, Disney Plus, there's a lot of talk about the streaming wars. And even last night, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, said he likes everybody talking about streaming wars because that just means people are talking about streaming. And when mm. people talk about streaming, a lot of them come to Netflix. Um, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of discussion about whether Disney Plus in particular is going to be a legitimate threat to Netflix, the Netflix killer, people like to say. It's not going to be a Netflix killer. I'm going to tell you that right now. At least it's not going to be for like five years. Um, just because Netflix, like I said, it's the biggest video subscription service on the planet. They mm. have like, it's not even fair to say they have a head start. They've like lapped everybody like 77 times before anyone's even started. Like it's ridiculous how far ahead they are. So um, it will be interesting to see as Disney Plus launches what it does mean to have kind of a direct threat like that. Netflix has never really had yeah. somebody that has a gigantic beloved catalog of content in addition to putting all this money into original stuff. Like they haven't yeah. had to deal with that before in the past. That's a purely streaming thing, especially when the price point is about half the cost of Netflix. Yeah, we'll see how long that price point sticks to that low level. I mean, it definitely, I think, opened some eyes when Disney just announced that price. But um, that and like the breadth of coverage for me, or breadth of like the catalog, how big that actually will be in the first year is still kind of a question mark, right? It's still, I mean, we know it's gonna be some of the core yeah. Disney stuff, but like, it's obviously not gonna be like Netflix's library, right? So. No, it won't be as big as Netflix's library, but it will be like, the majority of things you think about with Disney, it will have that. It's just okay. yeah. the things that it won't have at launch that are really, it won't have a lot of its original stuff at launch. It'll have a few things that are original at launch. Um, and it's gonna build those up as right. time goes on. And we've talked a lot about subscription fatigue and like 
we are going to get to a point where we're going to start testing that theory out, right? With all these different services, there's the HBO Max, there's yeah. Disney Plus, like how many subscriptions can we tolerate realistically? Yeah, and I think that's where bundling is going to become yeah. more of a prevalent thing. Disney Plus is already, Disney's already talking about how they're going to create a bundle that includes um, some combination of Disney Plus, Hulu, mm. and ESPN Plus. They're like sports related, right. um, like bonus paid service. Which kind of gets us back to like the cable model almost. Yeah, I mean, the thing about cable is everyone hates cable and they mm. love to complain about cable, but it's... Yes, I do. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big, it's a big value. You get a lot of stuff bundled yeah. together. A lot of people will say like, well, I don't want to have to pay this much money for this big a bundle, but that's where we get into this subscription fatigue. Right. Now that it's all broken out, you're like, oh, when I have to pay for everything piecemeal, it's actually kind of expensive. Right. If they give additional student discounts, I'm all in. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. In music, they've gone really hardcore into student discounts, but in video, not quite as much. But some do. Some do, for sure. Uh, this one hits kind of close to home. Um, just kind of interested uh, to what her perspective is on this one. Uh, Commander Trium is asking about Star Trek Discovery. Is Netflix going to absorb Star Trek Discovery? No. So... Yeah. There's a situation right now where Star Trek Discovery is an exclusive in the U.S. for CBS All Access. Disclosure, CNN is owned by CBS. Um, but Netflix is the distributor of, I believe, of Star Trek Discovery globally. So if you live anywhere except the U.S., you're watching Star Trek Discovery on Netflix. That's via a licensing deal. Sort of like with The Office and Friends, CBS decided to license the distribution globally for that that programming via Netflix because CBS All Access doesn't exist outside right. the US. Right. Um, and CBS lo has loved to brag about when they do these sort of deals. It basically pays for their series. Netflix pays them so much for those rights. It almost pays for some of its series mm. before they even land. I don't think that's the case with Star Trek Discovery because it was a big investment for them. But um, economically, that works really well for the licensor in CBS's case, because they get to have their exclusive here in the US where they have their own service to tout, but they're getting all the money from Netflix for everywhere else. But bottom line is, unless Netflix really, really, really wants to swipe this like to tightly clutched property away yeah. from CBS, yeah. it's not going to be going directly to Netflix anytime soon. Yeah, and given the fact that they're spinning off like a million shows. There's the Picard show that's going to be coming show out. Picard show coming up, which we'll probably hear about from Comic-Con this weekend. Hey. Um, yeah, they're, they're not letting go of that franchise. No. Yeah. No. When is Google Music going to merge with YouTube Music? So I think they kind of basically have already. Um, Google Music is basically getting sunsetted. It might, if it still exists in any sort of capacity, that actually is a surprise to me because my understanding was that all those um, subscribers over the past year plus would have been brought over to YouTube Music, music which is a shame because it had a hardcore diehard following, people that subscribed to, to Google, Play, Google Play Music. Really loved it, particularly because it had the one feature of subscription music services that nobody else had, which was the locker where you could store your MP3s mm. and you didn't have to. But, you know, now as these streaming libraries are so huge, like it's increasingly rare that there's a song that's in your library that isn't in their catalog. But right. yeah, as far as I know, like, let me know in the chat if you guys are still Google Play Music subscribers. But I thought that it was already those two are already combined. I was a big fan of Google Play Music because I do have a lot of like relic music that doesn't exist in any catalog, stuff that I've recorded myself. Yeah. Uh, stuff that is just was super underground DIY, not trying to play the cool guy a card by the <laughs> Shut up. I hosted so a lot of like local music uh, like punk scene stuff where we would record live sets and guys would only 
uh, ever uh, produce their content on cassette tapes because that's all we could afford. But we distributed amongst ourselves in the upstate New York region. And those relics have been lost. I digitized some of them, put them on Google Play Music just for the sake of archiving. But now that's not an option anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it really was among music fans like like you, people that are like, that are like very passionate, like genre um, fans, people that are diehard music fans, the kind of like, you know, like the high fidelity record store clerk kind of fans. Those are the ones that really loved Google Play Music because they could have all those things that you can't find in traditional streaming music catalog, um, but they could have it right there in the same place because of that, that locker, that storage locker, yeah. All right, and our last question of the day is coming from Michael Brown. What do you think it would take for a new streaming king to take the throne from Netflix? Let's give it a 10-year window. In 10 years, will there be somebody bigger than Netflix? Yeah. Or at least how would somebody need, what would they need to do to achieve that? I think if anybody could do it, it would be one of two things. It would be Disney, or... um, it could be a Chinese operator, if mm. because right mm. now the difference right now there's there's you know people call it, talk about the Great Firewall of China, it's a little bit different than that. But the way that things have developed because there's this sort of gulf between media properties that are operating outside China and those that are operating within them, um, there are huge, huge, huge streaming media companies in China. They haven't been able to translate over into the U.S. Um, so far, and there hasn't been a vice versa thing really into China yet. So if there were to be developments that allow there to be kind of more commingling of media, streaming media between the two countries, there could be a Chinese operator. I mean, like, look at TikTok. Like, Mm, that was a Chinese social, like, uh, Vines-like company that bought a U.S. Vine-like company, and now TikTok is gigantic um, as a Chinese company. But um, we haven't really seen anything like that in streaming media yet. So if there were, like, a TikTok of streaming media from China... That could be something that would really, that could really challenge Netflix or Disney. I mean, they have the best shot. Yeah, I, I struggle to remember the the companies, the media arms name, but I remember La Echo, yeah. which had their failed launch in the U.S. It was a hardware so business, but it was kind of spun off from. It was funded by the profits made from the streaming service, which was hugely successful in China, and I hadn't heard of it at yeah. all until after La Echo came out. So. Yeah. Yeah, so there's definitely there are definitely players out there, but as for like outside of China, it's tough for me to see who could. I mean, I guess conceivably Disney Plus or maybe HBO Max if they like expanded their library. I don't know how they'd be able to do it, honestly. And they're owned by AT and T, which for me means they have no <laughs> idea what they're going to be doing in media. Uh, they're going to be pushing 5G in all their, their right. Content. Like they're going to be pushing all their 5G. shows. We'll talk about 5G. Like the Deadwood. I movie. can't wait to watch Deadwood, Deadwood brought to you by 5G. <laughs> I would watch that. Well, yeah, but you're a very niche audience. Yes, Roger. yes, I am. <laughs> Well, that's all she wrote. That's not bad for our first week. A couple of things to iron out, but all in all, feeling pretty good about the new format. Looking forward to people's feedback, thoughts, input, suggestions. We'll take it all. Go ahead and tweet at us or send off a message here in the comment section or, I don't know, carrier pigeon or whatever. But thanks, everyone, for joining. And, uh, Joan, go ahead and take us on out. Yeah, thanks for joining us for our first official week as the Daily Charge. I won't do that again. Hit me. (laughs) Hit like and subscribe. So you can join us for the live stream weekday mornings here on YouTube, Periscope, and CNET.com slash daily hyphen charge. Check the description below for links to today's stories and subscribe to the audio podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday for the Daily Charge. I'm Joni Salzman. 
Thanks for listening. You're also Roger Chang. Oh, yes. Darcy. And that's Darcy. I, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. <laughs>